Hello, welcome to Book Talk. I'm your host, Anthony Moirore. At Book Talk, we get to have an author come and tell us about his book or her book. And it's always an interesting story to hear it right from the author. And today we have a great guest with us uh, who is going to tell us about a promise made, a promise kept. And so I'm not going to keep you waiting. I'm going to bring right away our guest for today, who is none other than Frank DiMaio. Welcome to the show, Frank. Thank you, Anthony. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's an honor to have you on our show. And uh, we are excited to hear about the promise made, a promise kept. And uh, before we get started, we'd like to know uh, who is Frank? Where is he from? Or, and where is he right now? Uh, Frank is uh, living in Florida, the U.S., in Dinellan. And that's my current home. I've lived in many places around the country and Canada as well for many years. Mm -hmm. And is that where you were born? Uh, no, I was born in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, uh, the smallest state of the Union, uh, in 1949, um, in a snowstorm, according to my mom. Uh, so, and I was brought up there. Things uh, move on after high school and college. And, and I decided to see the world, so travel to England and Ireland and parts of Canada after, after graduation. Mm, beautiful. And when I hear that name, Providence, it reminds me of this uh, famous judge. I didn't even know that Providence is the smallest uh, of the states. <laughs> well, this is the capital. Rhode yeah. Island is, is the state. Ah, okay. most, most people actually get that confused with Long Island, yeah. which is part of New York. And uh, they, they say, oh, you're from New York. And I say, no, I'm from Rhode Island, the smallest state in the Union. OK. Um, your, your sound is a bit, has gone a bit low. I don't know why. Do you have, is the microphone an external one that you can adjust the position? How's that? Yeah, it's, it's improved. Okay. Thank you, Thank you very it's, much. So we keep going. Yes. So, yes, you were explaining to us about the confusion that many people have of uh, Rhode Island in New York. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, so, and uh, in your journeys, uh, writing is one of the journeys. When did you start writing or... And, I mean, how did the writing come into your path of life? The, the writing aspect uh, began in, in junior high school, actually. The, starting with a journal and writing bad poetry, uh, you know, that kind of expression. And then, of course, life gets in the way and you begin to move away from that. And I got involved in the sciences and eventually became a chiropractic physician. And 
the journaling came back to life and the writing came back to life after my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2000. Mm. And it became an extension of my art because <clears throat> I left chiropractic and became a sculptor and did photography. Uh, like my junior high school years, my drawings were somewhat primitive. However, I enjoyed doing them. But the writing aspect became much more part of me, especially uh, when my wife was ill, because it was the method to which I was able to express the depth of the emotion and pain that I had from her loss. And it eventually became the impetus um, for the book. Oh, okay. So you lost your wife uh, of how long? How long had you been married to her? Um, we were together since 1988 and she passed away in 2004. Mm. And, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the story, when I originally started it in 2005, was very much based on my journal. Mm -hmm. And our journal, because we both started one at the same time after her diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And uh, after I had written it, <clears throat> I put it in what you would call, or what I call, deep storage. In other words, someplace I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to be reminded of it. I wasn't interested in pulling it out. Mm -hmm. And at one point, someone I hadn't uh, seen in over 43 years who I knew from chiropractic school contacted me on LinkedIn because I had mentioned on my page that I was an author. And she cajoled me into sending her my manuscripts because at that particular time I had six stories that I had been working on and continued to do. One of them is also another one's nonfiction is completed and now going to become a series. But the, the main thing was that she read my first one and she said it made her sick for three days because of the intensity to which I had expressed myself from my journal. Mm -hmm. However, she did say the last part, which was my sale to Bermuda to raise funds for breast cancer awareness, was uplifting, was reinforcing, gave, the, gave her a feel-good emotion. Mm -hmm. So she presented her case, being a lawyer that she is, to write that aspect of the story as the book. Mm -hmm. I just, because I felt that I could be 
telling the story from the beginning. When my wife and I met, how our relationship developed, the type of life we wove together, the tapestry that we created for one another, and the love that we had for sailing and being on the water was the impetus for me to make this journey and to make that sail as part of a promise to her. Mm -hmm. But she um, said, no, don't do that. <laughs> and, I, and I relinquished and I said, okay, fine. But I felt that at that particular point I had done a disservice to the reader because the reader, even though the story was compelling and it was exciting, it was, I was giving them the end result of a story that needed to be expressed and explained in its entirety, giving the proper reasoning behind to make the sale. Mm -hmm. And that's when uh, I made and rewrote and wrote uh, A Promise Made, A Promise Kept. Mm -hmm. And part of that is including uh, the five things that a husband should embrace to, to heal from the loss of uh, their spouse from breast cancer mm -hmm. and to let them know that uh, they are not alone, that someone out there understands their pain. Yeah. And uh, give them hope. Mm. And that's good uh, of you coming out with your story and sharing it with us here because there's always someone out there who's going through issues that we could have uh, gone through and overcome and they don't know how to go out of it and uh, our experience shared could be a light for them it could be a lifeboat for them once we uh, set it out there uh, for them to have a look at it to read it and uh, get the story behind it so you did quite good in coming out and i can only imagine having lived with your wife for over 20 years i mean you there's quite much you had shared together uh, it's quite 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 much and um i believe that some of the experiences are shared in the book since you decided to tell it from the beginning up to the end and uh, if I may ask, maybe, how did you meet with your wife in the first place? Uh, that in itself is, uh, could be another book. Uh, <clears throat> she, I was, at the time, I was practicing chiropractic, and I was going through uh, a divorce. And she happened to come in the office uh, seeking care for uh, an automobile accident. And I walked into the room and I was uh, suddenly overcome. I was, to, for lack of a better word, uh, speechless in looking into her eyes and the depth of warmth and her smile was overwhelming. Uh, <laughs> 
I, I, I don't, uh, I, I can't give you a specific instance within that one and a half minute period of time where I was speechless. And she raised an eyebrow and looked at me and said, well, are you going to say something? And to come at the time, I'm thinking to myself in my head, what a klutz. <laughs> you know, you should be speaking to this person. Blurted mm -hmm. out, um, hi, I'm Dr. DeMaio. Uh, how can I help you today? And uh, so we went from, from there. I examined her, I treated her, and I released her. And she came back into the office uh, almost a year later, seeking treatment for another particular problem. And at that particular point in time, uh, the treatments followed through and I was looking to do something else uh, besides my practice. I wanted to give back. So I was looking to teach and I was putting together my resume and she came into the office. She was one of the last patients in the evening. So what are you doing? I said, I'm working on my resume because I want to uh, do something to give back to the community and uh, to teach. And she said, oh, I teach. How would you like to be a guest lecturer? I looked at her and I said, excuse me, I thought you were an administrative assistant for Salve Regina University in Newport, Rhode Island. And she said, yes, but I teach paralegal classes at night. And it would be great if you could come in and give the insights about practice and communication and skills to my students. Mm. I said, okay. Two weeks later, Anthony, my teaching career began. And uh, that was how our relationship began. And a couple of years later, we started seeing each other on a more regular basis. Hmm. Now we never know when and where or how we are going to meet with someone that is going to have a big impact in our own life. And um, that was quite an experience. And as you say, it could be a whole book uh, that could, <laughs> could be a whole book. It's interesting. It was an amazing journey, uh, and my journey continues, and it's because of her, uh, yeah. her insight, her inspiration, her guidance, her gentleness of being able to inspire me to continue not only with my education, but in my art. Mm. Uh, so my life is a tribute to her, yeah. as, as is the book. That's good. That's good. Is that, and uh, if I may ask, where was the promise made and what was the promise? Okay, so we were, at the time, we were living in Richmond, Virginia, or an outskirt of Richmond, Virginia. And she was teaching, and I was an adjunct professor along with her at Bryant Stratton College. Mm -hmm. She was, when she was diagnosed, uh, that was in 2000, and she was uh, treated for her cancer at that particular time, started her treatment. When things uh, got bad, 
closer to 2004, uh, we talked about wanting to give something back to the Massey Cancer Center in terms of those individuals who were going through the process of treatment. Being that we were in the process of restoring a, a beautiful little sailboat, a 1969 Choi Lee 31-foot offshore catch that had been left to decay in, in the middle of a marina, uh, we took it upon ourselves to restore it. And in that process of working on that, that was when her diagnosis moved from recovery, remission of her cancer to a metastasis in her brain, besides the kiwi fruit. So in that moment, we realized that her time and our time together is going to be limited. And we donated the boat back to an organization on the eastern shore of Virginia who sells boats, auctions them off, and uses the money to teach children and young adults about conservation of the Chesapeake Bay. When we talked about offering sailing to patients, that was one of the things that we wanted to do. And it moved from that with her legal background to tell me, yeah, really, it's a wonderful idea, but liability-wise, it wouldn't be a good thing because we're taking strangers onto a private vessel. She said, you love to sail. You know that I like to cruise. And I want to go to Bermuda. She'd been there in the past. She said, but I don't like to cruise. I said, I would want to be driving the cruise ship. I wouldn't want to be a passenger on the cruise ship. So she said, okay, so here's the deal. I'll fly to Bermuda. You sail to Bermuda. And then we'll sail around the island and, and everything will be hunky-dory because you know me, I'm high maintenance, as she placed it. <laughs> so that was how it began. And uh, there were other aspects of her wishes that were involved. And, but that was one of the promises that I made to her was that I would do a solo sail to Bermuda to raise funds for breast cancer awareness and to allow those funds to be used by the Massey Cancer Center in Richmond, Virginia. Mm. And that's, and you're keeping Objectives and you're keeping the other promises that you say could be uh, incorporated or together inside in the story. And uh, going back, uh, there is something that we could be curious about. Now, since you became a family, or she became your wife, you became her husband, did you ever have children? Uh, we never had children together. 
Mm -hmm. uh, she had two children from a previous marriage. I had two children from my previous marriage. So together we had four children and they are all adults. And now I have uh, three grandchildren. Oh, wow. And uh, that's an, that is, that is an, uh, an energy requirement that is, needs copious amounts of coffee to be able to stay active with because they just, I can see they just run, run me ragged. Uh, Josephina is my first grandchild, first, mm -hmm. first grandchild. And I just finished a vacation uh, up in Rhode Island visiting with them and uh, to read stories and to, to keep up with her, uh, I needed at least two pots of coffee a day because <laughs> to just run you ragged. Mm. But she's a little girl, very inquisitive. And she's, she, um, if I might go back to that prior to the start of the show, I noticed that I have a goatee and uh, she, she grabbed it. And she held on to it and gave it a good yank. And she says, Papu, uh, which means grandfather in Greek, says, you have a goatee, but you're not a goat. And I said, no, honey, I'm not a goat, but you look like a goat. <laughs> I said, yes, but I'm not a goat. And she laughs and giggles, and then she tickles me under the chin. So, But uh, yeah, that's uh, grandchildren. They're a wonderful thing. Yeah, they are wonderful. And uh, in Greek, we say Nazisun. <laughs> May they live. I mean, it's a great, it's a good wish. And because you are the one started talking about Papu in Greek with his grandfather, please tell us what's your connection with Greece? Uh, my connection with Greece is through my mom. Uh, my mom is Greek and my dad is Italian. So I am of Mediterranean blood, but being from that, I am considered, or I think of myself as a mongrel, just like a mutt, uh, so to speak. But it's an interesting combination. I mean, when you think about Greece and Italy and the history and the thousands of years of uh, influence. My ancestral roots are obviously much deeper than just being Italian and Greek. But uh, the Greek part is my mom and uh, her, my papu and my yaya both came from Sparta, uh, a, a village outside of Sparta, Greece. Mm -hmm actually called Daphne, and uh, I have yet to be there. I have yet to visit uh, the, the, the village of Fidiarich, which is the village my father's parents came from, mm -hmm. outside of Naples. But uh, sooner or later, I'll get there. I'll have an opportunity to visit my ancestral roots. And we wish you all the best. We wish that your dream may come true as soon as possible. Tell us the secret behind the goatee. 
What, what inspired the goatee? Oh, why the goatee? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I had a, a very large beard. And I, uh, I hadn't shaved it, trimmed it, or done anything with it for almost two years. So it was down to about here and came out about here. And I looked, it had banana curls in it. So it was like looking at Santa Claus. And uh, I, again, uh, but I trimmed it down, I took it off, but I thought this was uh, an interesting addition. So, I, but it'll probably disappear in a little while. I'll be get tired of it and it'll be gone and I'll be clean shaven again. But uh, I always uh, do something with my face. I'd have a handlebar mustache uh, come out and be huge. Because it, it wouldn't require waxing, it just that's because of the banana curls. It just automatically grew in that shape. Mm. But I like it. Yeah, wonderful. And uh, it's not uh, just an, a common thing that someone who's gone through a loss will be smiling all along and telling us interesting stories of a goatee, and. Uh, we appreciate that part from you that you can still afford us now and you've taken your time and put in words down so that you tell your story of uh, uh, how uh, this promise is being kept and uh, the subtitle of the book is called five things a husband should embrace for healing the loss of a spouse breast cancer. I'm curious to know what are those five things that have enabled you to heal so that you can still get, afford a smile and uh, put down the book and um, give back to the society? Well, that's um, they are what I went through. These five things are what I, I learned uh, about myself. Um, one is that you need, you need the opportunity to grieve. You need the opportunity to understand a loss. And that loss could be not only for anyone, but it could be for anything. It could be the loss of a job. It could be the loss of a pet, a child, a husband, a wife a mother or a grandfather doesn't matter it's still going to impact you it's a trauma that has a deep-seated emotional impact the other thing is that an individual needs to surrender they need to give themselves up to someone else they to other people a friend and I, and I say that a friend, not a bunch of friends, a friend or a family member or another individual who you may know who has experienced a similar loss. Because in that particular moment, you are connected. 
And you have a spiritual connection as well as the emotional. So it provides you an opportunity to be free with your emotions, to be willing to share and not feel defensive, to not feel isolated. And that is a very freeing aspect when you're willing to surrender. The other is to lower your expectations. Now, not, this is important because I, I didn't. Lowering your expectations means that you're giving yourself permission to set a standard of emotion not expecting you to yourself to get over the loss because the word get over just doesn't cut it it doesn't belong because you never really get over anything but when you can lower your expectations whatever grief that you're feeling becomes not only manageable, but it does not define who you are. And that is incredibly important because it doesn't take away from who you really are, your core. We lose sight of who we are in the process of grief. Mm-hmm. As we are on the precipice of a rabbit hole in survivors guilt. Now we are so easily pushed, not by anybody else, by ourselves into that abyss. And that is where I went. Because somebody that goes through survivor's guilt, there is a period of time of recovery that or improvement that could be months could be weeks because everyone has everyone is a different person and we all have our own elements of personality Mm -hmm. for myself it was complicated and it became complicated because number one, I was writing the journal and I was writing the story. So I was visiting my pain on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And even though I may have been seeing improvements in how I was feeling, every time I picked up a pen, I was down the rabbit hole. So lowering expectations is, is a good thing. Is it, it, doesn't define who you are. You have the opportunity to be who you are on your own terms. Number four is probably an interesting aspect to follow. And that is shame. You have to show shame the back door. You've got to kick it out can't blame yourself for what happened. You will, I promise you, you will, and you will be devastated by it. But there is a period of time when you begin to uh, pull back from 
the expectations that you had set to the ability to show shame that it doesn't have any power over you. And it takes courage to deal with that element because like many of us growing up in a guilt environment, especially Greek, <laughs> it's like a family thing. Guilt is a, you know, a very powerful tool. And at the same time, when you're growing up with it, ah, you know, it's like having to do, as we say in the Catholicism, Maya Copa. I have to, you know, confess and I have to get, be given blessing to, to continue to do what I need to do. But uh, you need to show shame the back door, kick it out and give yourself the opportunity uh, to feel stronger in your own time and place. Mm -hmm. The fifth one is my favorite. <laughs> the fifth one, and the most important, is to laugh. Mm -hmm. Laugh often, laugh out loud, laugh roariously, laugh at yourself because you're, you are the best target for your laughter. Because we all do things that we go, wish I had a V8, but in the same element, you need to have a sense of forgiveness in a way, especially when you're dealing with the, the, the intensity of grief. Mm -hmm. But when you find those elements within yourself and the relationship that you had with your spouse that provided you the moments of roarious laughter, find them, embrace them, use them, because it will change your chemistry. Laughter changes your chemistry. Mm -hmm. And there are books by authors such as Bernie Siegel. Uh, oh, another one here, uh, Norman Cousins. And I mentioned them in the book, is that they used laughter to heal their illness. And it is that chemistry that I talk about briefly. Mm -hmm. uh, when it changes, you get, when you laugh, you, you, you get energized. Your, your body becomes uplifted. And uplifting words do the same thing, just as the laughter does. And I make that a, a very important correlation because the words of negativity, the words of pain, grief, fear, fight or flight, anger, remorse, sorrow, sadness, they're all negative in their implication. They're not positive. They're not uplifting. They don't provide avenues of chemical transition in the body to affect the mind and the brain. And there's a whole reading list of books about the importance of words and vocabulary and how the brain functions with uplifting words. This is, and we're not talking about positive reinforcement. We're not talking about positive affirmations. 
you could say that I am good, I am grateful, I am deserving. But those are all beginnings of uplifting words, which need to be placed in a sentence, needs to be placed into a paragraph of description of an individual's feelings. And that's where journaling comes in. Mm. That's where the importance of journaling falls. And that's what I used throughout the process of writing this book. From the time when it was terrible, it was vomitous, for lack of a better word, to come to my mind at this particular point in time, but it was important. And that any individual having this difficulty of, of dealing with loss, when they start a journal, it may be difficult in the beginning. They may have a difficult time even picking up the pen like I did. But when I started, journaling was in junior high school. And I began with doodling. And then, of course, moved on to terrible poetry, being a teenager. But when you do that, when you make that effort, when you make that transition, and to move from the negative impact of illness and loss to a positive impact of uplifting vocabulary that you use in a descriptive format, it changes your chemistry. It changes how you feel, how your brain functions, and your outlook. And those are the five major things. There are five others as well, but those are the five most important. And I make mention of the journaling as a method to be able to get through those and find a balance. Mm. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much, uh, Frank De Mayo. For those who may be joining us now, those who may have got to listen to this somewhere in the middle we are covering the book a promise made a promise a promise kept by frank de mayo and the subtitle is the five things husband should embrace for healing the loss of a spouse to breast cancer and those five major things are what uh, frank has just shared and uh, they are in the book and uh, much more stories are in the book. I want to believe so. And uh, I am asking for someone who may be wondering, where can I get that book to read? How can they get it, Frank? Uh, well, currently it's in the publisher's hands uh, for a cover. Um, they can email me directly at fjd.writer dot, uh, I mean, at gmail.com, <clears throat> excuse me, and I will send it to them. There is a caveat. Uh, they're going to get the whole book. And I hope that they would share it with whatever network that they have. But I would request that after they read it, that they send me a review. 
to help me on writing other aspects. Uh, uh, my second book, a companion to this, which is a psychology of healing, based on the journaling and the words and the chemistry of affecting the brain. So I like feedback. So I'm willing, I'm, I want to give this book out because if I can reach one person who feels lost as I did through the loss of a spouse and they see something in my book that triggers them to say, I went through that. I understand what he's talking about. Then I've done my job, Anthony. And I'm, and I'm hoping that there is someone out there that will feel that way. So in that instance, I'm giving the book away. So all of your listeners are welcome to email me and just simply request a copy and I will send it to them. And I would hope that after they read it, they will send me a review. Now, once the book is released and published, uh, it will also be free, but they will also get a cover for it. It'll be an ebook. And it'll be free probably for the first two days uh, of release. But you're getting it now from your program. All of your listeners are going to have the opportunity to read my and Judah's story and to benefit from it and to share it. Because the more people that have an opportunity to read it, it's the more hearts that will be touched. Wow. That's a true definition of giving back. Whoever is listening and those who will get to listen after we are through with this episode on the podcast platforms that this one is going to be uploaded on, reach out to frank at fjd dot writer at gmail.com and request for the book a promise made a promise kept and he will send it to you absolutely free now what a kind person a kind heart thank you very much frank we really appreciate uh, you giving out and giving back thank you thank you anthony for having me Yes, so we are almost uh, through with the show, and uh, this is uh, Now Tell Us, which you can find at nowtellus.com. You subscribe to our channel and uh, share all the episodes, and this one specifically. And we are almost coming to the end, but before we do, we always ask our guests to share with us a few words that we will always remember. This is your time, Frank. I just lost you. Oh, I say, share with us a few words that we will always remember. And I hope it's not, I just lost you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I, you know, like when someone smiles at you, you smile back. It's the natural uh, course of things, right? It's uplifting. It's it's one of those things like like vocabulary. 
Mm -hmm. Positive emotion. It's a positive reinforcing thing. And I'm looking at you smiling and I can hear some of your words and but your smile is there and then your words disappear. <laughs> but your smile stays, which is fine because that means that, you know, whatever it is I missed, it had to have been good. Okay. So the last this words that we should always remember is smile at someone because you get it back. Now, That's Frank may be losing at, as at this point, but we are through anyway. We made it through. We did. And uh, that's uh, very good of you, Frank. And that's very good of you, listener, whether you're listening to us live from the main platforms that this uh, video is available, or whether you get to listen to it after we are through. We really appreciate you taking your time. Reach out to Frank and get to read the book and send the review back. And he will appreciate that. So that's uh, that's it for now. And I have been your host, Anthony Morore. And together with Frank, we are saying bye for now. Bye. God bless. God bless. <laughs>